0: Hello, and welcome to Comics Over Time! This season, which we're calling Murdoch and Marvel, a history of Marvel Comics starring Daredevil, is our most ambitious project yet. Our plan is to look at the state of the comic book industry during a particular year, and then to examine in detail the major ways that Marvel Comics in particular evolved during that year. We'll look at who was creating comics, what new characters or storylines were introduced, and which comics either debuted or ended. After that, we'll get down to business, take out our stack of Daredevil comics, and look at what our old friend, the Man Without Fear, was up to during that same time. We're glad you've joined us. My name is Dwayne, and with me, as always, my good buddy, Dan. Dan, we are back for another season.
1: Yeah, really excited about this. It's going to be a lot of fun I think that uh, in many ways it seems like what we've been doing, what we've been talking about, has sort of been building up to an analysis like this, and now it is time. So we are going to be reaching back into the past. And of course, as as this is called, uh, essentially Murdoch and Marvel, it's what we're going to be doing. We're going to look at the history of Marvel Comics. We're going to look at the history of Daredevil as sort of one slice of that. Um, that history starts in 1964 when daredevil debuts but just to sort of set the stage for you both in terms of reacquainting you with with duane and i and then also to get kind of a a level set for where comic books and marvel are at at the dawn of the what we'll call the daredevil era right it's not the marvel age it's the daredevil age as far as we're concerned but we're going to go back and talk about 1961, 62, and 63 a little bit to get an idea of what was going on in comics then, and then each year from now on, we're going to be sort of moving a year at a time, starting with Daredevil's introduction in 1964, um, so we'll see how it's going. Dwayne, how's your week been?
0: It's been good. I've been reading lots of comics, trying to get ahead of uh, of where we're going, uh, because Unlike Moon Knight, which we did a similar sort of let's read all of Moon Knight's comics, we're trying to read all of Daredevil, and Daredevil has a significantly bigger library of comics than just uh, the 350 or so that that, that we had for, uh, for Moon Knight. It's probably up over 400 now with that current run and, and yep. some of the other books that, that he's been in, so been doing that, been getting ready for this. We, we we tried to kind of up the production value a little bit on the podcast, so you're going to hear some cool bumpers, and we're recording the intro and outro, so less chance that I'm going to screw it up and all that sort of thing, so I'm really excited about this. I, I don't know a lot about comic history, and uh, you've got a lot that you can share, and then we're both going get, to uh, get to look at uh, Daredevil in depth.
1: Yeah, and I'm learning things like, what's a bumper? I'd never understood that those little sound effect or, or sort of transition things are called bumpers. So, Dwayne's getting all fancy and, uh, and production values technical on us here, which is very cool. So, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I think, though, that what we wanted to do to start out, you mentioned Moon Knight. Hopefully, a number of folks have been with us through this whole journey, right? We started in January of 2021 with the Moon Knight podcast. Uh, We moved into an MCU podcast. We've talked a little about Moon Knight again. And now we're coming back to start on a a big Marvel one. How this all began is I'm a Lifetime comic fan. Dwayne was a friend who had had an interest in a lot of the same geeky sort of things. We spent a lot of time talking and fighting baseball. Uh, but then also, you know, science fiction, all of these sorts of things, movies. I knew he was having a good time with all the Marvel movies. And so, as the Moon Knight Disney Plus show was getting ready to debut, like, it would be fun to do a podcast. We're still basically in pandemic times at this point, so one gets to actually see each other. be fun to do a podcast. With a friend who is interested in Marvel, interested in superheroes in the MCU, but maybe has never really read comic books. And that was Dwayne, right? At that point, your experience with opening up a comic book was pretty limited.
0: Like a handful of times, uh, various times throughout my life, I've I've gone with you to the comic book store and seen just a absolute just plethora of comics everywhere. And... You know, thumbed through some books, looked at some uh, mm-hmm. collection, collected works, and that, and and even bought a couple things, but never really. I started reading, would get a little ways through, and then I wouldn't wouldn't keep going.
1: No, oh. and so I wasn't sure how this would go. I don't know you were sure how this would go, but you agreed to join me on my crazy adventure, and there. it turned out that evidently you had a. A genetic marker for, for weakness to becoming addicted to comic books. Because at this point, we've got you a pull list. You've been reading Moon Knight constantly for the last couple of years. We've been doing the other, uh, you know, like the the movie versus comic book uh, face-offs and the like. All that's been a lot of fun. I think what it allowed us to do was it allowed me to get a chance to go back and enjoy a lot of this comic history that I've been sort of living Uh, since I was a kid and then got you a chance to get an introduction to some of this who some of these characters are what the history of the the characters and and stories that you're seeing in the MCU uh, movies were that sort of thing but now we went through phases one through four we've gone through Moon Knight from basically the start of his current arc to him being dead and it's comic books, so who knows how long that's going to last. But nonetheless, we've finished up everything, so it was time to go back. I wanted to go back and kind of, you know, the name of our podcast is Comics Over Time, head back into history. And so that's what you've now agreed to join me on another crazy adventure. Uh, Dwayne likes Daredevil and kind of had directed us toward that. You got into Daredevil because of... Charlie Cox in the TV show, correct?
0: Yes. The outside I think obviously Iron Man and Robert Downey Jr brought me into like the MCU and Marvel as, as a whole. I I don't I've seen comic book movies before that, kind of, you know, Batman and and some of those uh, the Incredible Hulk. Uh some good, some not so good, but but Iron Man brought me in, but I think one of the other characters that really caught my attention actually was Matt Murdoch. And I will tell you, I watched the Ben Affleck version of this and Ving Rhames as, as Kingpin. And I, I didn't hate that movie. It's not a great movie, but I did actually like I did. I didn't hate the movie. And when Netflix came out with a, a Marvel daredevil TV series, I'm a big fan of Vincent D'Onofrio, and I absolutely loved Charlie Cox in that role for three seasons. They were absolutely fantastic. I I loved the show. When you talked about wanting to do a podcast with regarding the comic books, I immediately brought up the fact that I was interested in Daredevil and that at some point we wanted to talk. I need I wanted to talk about it. So it took us two seasons, but we're but we're now there i i'm excited that there is a new daredevil tv series coming uh in the future we don't it sounds like it's just started filming again after the pandemic stopped it there's been some changes in uh, cast writers showrunners all this sort of thing daredevil reborn uh but i i'm excited about that and i'm excited to see the comic version of Matt Murdock and all of these characters that I saw from the TV show and a whole bunch more as, as some context and, and some history of the character going into that TV series. Like I ended up getting with, with, uh, you know, Mark Spector, Stephen Grant, Jake Lockley and Moon Knight.
1: Yeah. I think we talked Daredevil early, but my goal was to have something manageable and daredevil's really not manageable we are we are in the deep end at this point cuz we're going yes. back you know 1975 moon knight debuted he didn't get a regular book until 1980 he was been he's been canceled for half of the the years since then so you know daredevil passes 380 or has 380 issues just in his first volume that ends in like the 90s sometime so there's been almost 30 years of additional stuff now, and he's been a very popular character during a lot of that. So there's a lot of Daredevil to cover. I think we are going to focus mostly on the main series, rather than a lot of the side you know, appearances in Marvel Team-Up, appearances in Amazing Spider-Man, appearances in Defenders, all that. We'll talk about some of them. but We're going to really focus on the main storyline, I think. Uh, in any case, It's going to be a lot of fun because comic books are a great way to sort of orient yourself for American social history and for American popular culture and all sorts of stuff. And I am, you know, a a history major. I've got a, a master's in history, currently actually working on my PhD. And one of the things I'm studying for it is basically like 1960s and 1970s marvel and dc comic books so i have i have read a lot on these and it's been a lot of fun and Dwayne is now here to stop me from talking too much about them and just getting the right amount so he's he is uh, the patrolman for this next few uh, few episodes but yeah what we're gonna do is, is just kind of start going through this. Uh, if you're just joining us now, we, you know, it's the first episode of this, but we've been around quite a while. We've been podcasting. Dwayne actually had another podcast on Hearthstone that he was on before, so he had some experience with this even coming in. Um,
0: a little experience. I had 160 some odd episodes uh, of that podcast before I, I ended up having to move on, because Turns out doing more than one podcast in a week when you have a full-time job is uh, it, starts to, it starts to limit the amount of free time you actually have. So I I decided that I wanted to keep going with Dana on on talking about comics and comic book heroes and movies and TV shows and all, all of that. So yep. we had that, and then now together, you and I, we've done, all, you know, we're closing in on about 150, 100 or so podcasts as well
1: so yeah very cool yeah that seemed like you say a little but that seemed like a mountain of experience when you'd had two and a half years or whatever of podcasting already when we were getting ready to do things so I have have learned much but so for this first week though we kind of wanted to reintroduce ourselves a little bit for those of you who maybe uh maybe are not familiar with where we came from And then we're going to talk each week about essentially three things. We're going to talk about what happened in comics and more broadly a little bit about what happened in the sort of history and and the country at large during a particular year. We're then going to talk about what happened at Marvel Comics during that year. And then we're going to finish up by taking a look at what Daredevil was up to that year. And the hope with this is that it will give us the ability to go from sort of broad to targeted, where we can have a podcast that gives you a good idea of what's going on in comics and Marvel comics, and then kind of get to find out what's been going on with Stilt Man or something, and have a little bit of fun before we <laughs> leave. So,
0: yes, Stilt Man, <laughs> you you were joking about Stilt Man before I got to that issue, and yeah, he is he's
1: great. He's uh He's his own guy. So, in any case, um, what we're gonna do then is kind of start out with with that. I assume that we're going to wander into one of those. Dwayne will get to use one of his fancy new bumpers here in the next couple seconds, and we're gonna start out taking a look at what happened in comics and Marvel and and the like in the three years between when Marvel started doing comic or in the three years between when Marvel started doing superhero comic books again, and when they brought out Daredevil. So that would be late 1961,
0: 1962, and 1963. The year in comics. I guess I was under the assumption that Marvel had always done superhero comics, but that's not the case.
1: Not, not really, no. Uh, And more specifically, not in the few years leading up to Fantastic Four. That Marvel started with superheroes, and it was superheroes for a long time, and then they went away, and then they came back, and then they went away. It's been an interesting kind of journey. So Marvel's also only one of a number of companies that's doing things at this point. So in the early 60s, comic books were actually selling at levels that today's publishers can't even hope to attain but the industry still actually was in a down period in comparison to the heady days that they'd had in the early 50s and the 1940s when not only like 90 some percent of all kids were heavily reading comic books but a lot of young adults as well you know a lot of GIs would have comic books sent over in in bulk and they were reading them uh, Most kids would have been buying comics and then sharing them around with friends and that sort of stuff. And we're talking girls, boys, kids as young as, you know, five or six, up to kids in their teens. Everybody read comic books at that point. Wow. What happened, though, yeah, it uh, actually became, unfortunately, something that caught the attention of a few people who started to notice that some of the content in the comic books was not what they considered to be savory. And so we ended up having a massive sort of almost purge. You had things like actual bonfires of comic books in the 1950s and the like. We had this thing called Seduction of the Innocent published. It was a book by a psychologist named Frederick Wortham. And in it, he made a bunch of allegations that essentially comic books were a cause of of juvenile delinquency. He linked comic books to all sorts of social ills. And because of the fact that nobody in America wanted to really deal with the fact that there probably were a lot of things going on in American society that they couldn't fix, one thing they could fix was really crushing the comic industry. So we had Senate hearings. uh, The EC boss had a lot of problems. Things got bad. By the 1960s here, comics code authority had been established and it was working well comics were now popular again but they weren't as popular especially with older kids anymore because a lot of the stuff that made comics really cool was that the stuff in them was probably not appropriate for the ages of kids reading it as somebody huh who started out reading comics enjoying a lot of the stuff that was not appropriate for my age group. I understand exactly why these kids liked comics more when they thought they were getting away with something, right? Nonetheless, as we start 1960, or the 60s, you've got a number of publishers. You've got Dell that does a lot of the funny animal stuff and a lot of TV-licensed things like Gunsmoke comic books. Uh, They've got all of the... Uncle Scrooge and Donald Duck and and Walt Disney stuff. Dell is kind of a juggernaut. They actually have almost 40% of the total comic book market at this point. DC Comics, which is national, is the publisher of Superman. They have about another 25% of the market. And Superman has never actually stopped being published. So it and Batman basically have had a straight run. Wonder Woman has mostly been published all the way through, but not entirely. A lot of the other Silver Age superheroes just started coming back in the 50s. So, like, The Flash comes back in 1956, and, and a lot of these other characters start returning. DC, for a lot of time, like most other companies, was using all sorts of other things uh, that they were selling. They were not necessarily spending all their time with superheroes. But now they're coming back heavily into superheroes in the early 60s. You've got Harvey Comics, which is Richie Rich and Hot Stuff and Wendy the Witch and all these sorts of things. Uh, they're about 10% of the market, right? Uh huh. Charlton, which has all sorts of, of interesting uh, stuff. They've got some early superhero things, they've got a number of other, like Hot Rod magazines and stuff like this. They're 10% of the of the market. And then, in like sixth place, here comes Marvel. 9% of the comic market out of that point. Which, go ahead.
0: I was going to say, just rough math here, that means the top four had like over 80% of the market.
1: Yes. And that's not something that would have been the case 10 years ago. But what happened when the Comics Code Authority came in is it absolutely destroyed the small publishers because a lot of them took heavy losses and they didn't have a big bankroll where they would they had the ability to withstand it. There would have been dozens of, of relatively strong comic publishers, each with a few percent of the market as of about 1950. And then it just absolutely got crushed in the 50s and consolidated And a lot of the stuff, you know, when you look at Dell, Harvey, Charlton, Archie, which is the next one, that's 6%, right, below DC. All of those are very family-friendly, very kid-friendly sorts of of imprints. And a lot of the stuff that would have been like Weird Science and a lot of the EC horror stuff, or even some of the more adult uh, romance-type things and the like, just sort of went away and so the, the comic market as of this point is a little weird if you look we've got a spreadsheet here I can maybe uh i don't think we'll put this in the show notes but i can try and tweet it out or, or, or what would i call it i can never remember what I, what they call them on blue sky so i'm only just on blue po- sky you'll you'll and- just post it on social media i may i'll may post it but the uh the top 10 comics of each year are kind of what I'm going to be looking at each year. And for this one, when we start with 1960, Uncle Scrooge and Walt Disney's Comics and Stories both sold over a million copies. Uh, And that is average copies per issue, not per year. So they're dropping 12 million million issues of Uncle Scrooge in, I guess, if they did 12 issues. I'm not sure if it was monthly or bi-monthly. But a lot no nothing sold a million copies for a long time after this just as a note superman and superboy then came in at third and fourth at around 800,000 and 600,000 mickey mouse and batman were in the 500s superman's panel jimmy olsen and world's finest are at about 500,000 then we've got looney tunes and action comics to finish out the top 10 the top marvel title was Tales to Astonish at one hundred and sixty-three thousand copies, in forty-third place. Wow! So they
0: were—they were—they were definitely the very small fish in the pond at that point. Then
1: they were not a league leader at this point. Let's put it that way. And <laughs> as we as we actually talk about Marvel, I'm going to go back to some of the history. You'll see that it is a little bit surprising, because this is not a fly-by-night company it's not a company that just started in 1955 or whatever that they don't have anything in the top 25 or top 30 or top 40 comics is kind of crazy it continues on this way for the next couple of years where basically almost everything is superman titles and then sort of funny animal kind of stuff um in in 1962 for instance superman is the highest rated the one problem with that is that at a certain point, Dell stopped, Dell slash Gold Key, stopped providing their circulation numbers. Uncle Scrooge and Walt Disney's comics and stories may still be destroying Superman at this point, but we don't actually have information on it. There's a, a site called Comicron that we'll put a link to in the show notes, show notes that has a lot of this information, and that's where I'm getting it from. Uh, they've done just a spectacular job of, of comic book circulation stuff. The thing about it is, it's all what's been presented by the actual vendors. So, you kind of got to take it with a grain of salt. But it's the best we have. Marvel, number 44, Modeling with Millie. And in 1963... Again, wait, wait wait, 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 wait. Modeling what? with Millie? Modeling with Millie. Millie is super important to the history of Marvel. She's been around forever.
0: Are you, are, when we get to talking about Marvel, are you gonna tell us a little bit about what modeling with Millie is? because I, I, exactly I want to know what you
1: would think it is. it's it's like a a girl's romance kind of fashion book. Oh they had they had fashion cutouts and like paper dolls and stuff like that and
0: yeah awesome okay. there's also okay. Katie okay.
1: Katie Keene. You'll find that a lot of Marvel's biggest books at this time were for girls, and they were, uh, you know, in in various genres and all sorts of stuff. Basically, Marvel did everything except superheroes at this point. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that in a little bit. All right. And all right. and to note in yeah, 1963, it's Rawhide Kid. So they had a they had a monster book on top in 1960 61. Uh, I can't remember which one it was. And then uh, modeling with Millie in 62 and Rawhide kid in 63 but so just to kind of give an idea the comic market is diminished in 1960 but it's still relatively vibrant because you've got like you said you know like six or seven um six or seven publishers dominate the field but none of them is that massive and there actually are a number of other healthy ones in the current market, I probably should go and run the numbers, but the dominance of Marvel and DC over the industry is really pretty substantial,
0: substantial. now. Yeah, I was gonna say so. I you would.
1: basically have Marvel, DC, and then Image is the third publisher, and yeah. they actually have a pretty decent chunk of the market as well. But those three then are almost you know they're like ninety, they're right like nine
0: ninety percent plus, right? Something like that. pretty close so
1: so i'm going to have to run the numbers before i'm i i don't i don't guess on those sorts of things okay that was
0: that was purely a guess on my part i i have (laughs) no doubt that i'm probably wrong but like all i know is that from a non like expert as far as comics go i've heard those are the only three comic book like (laughs) publishers that i'm really familiar with
1: I think that it it also depends in that there are a lot of small companies out there, but the number of issues they sell is really light compared to what some of the bigger Marvel and DC ones were. So probably in terms of actual, you know, how many publishers there are, how many comics are published, I think there's probably more... There's a lot of comics published by smaller publishers, but they don't sell much. So in terms of actual volume... I think that 90% is probably pretty close with the top three, like you're you're saying there. But I'll, I'll try and look into it and get some data. Uh, where I get a lot of that data, by the way, is from the uh, comics.org site. Um, it's called the Grand Comic Database. You can go out there and search on almost anything. But the other nice thing is, if, like myself, you happen to be a database nerd, they've got a downloadable MySQL database copy you can use. So I can download the current version of the copy load it into my own MySQL server and then run any of my own queries against it to find out any data they have. So it's pretty fantastic when trying to find out like what books were published in a particular year, what books were done by particular creators, that sort of stuff.
0: All right. So should we transition and talk about Marvel more specifically? Yeah. Because I, yep, uh, I think the, that's all, the, uh... all of this is is absolutely fascinating. But I want to know how we got from Modeling with Millie to Daredevil.
1: That's a really good question, isn't it?
0: The year in Marvel.
1: Excelsior.
0: All right, Dan, enlighten me. How, how did we get... Where, where, where did Marvel come from and how did they get to where they were in 1963 where it's Rawhide Kid modeling with Millie and, and what finally changes that they end up going to the Fantastic Four?
1: Sure. So it's, a, it's an interesting story. And it's told. One of the reasons why I don't mind going a little quick over this part is the number of stories and books and even just YouTube videos on how Marvel goes, you know, what, what happens in 1961 when, when uh, you know, the Fantastic Four comes out is, is pretty substantial. But the whole history of Marvel is really interesting. It was actually founded way back in 1939 by Martin Goodman. He was publishing like pulps, which are are basically like low quality, low cost magazine type stuff. And somebody said, hey, why don't you get into the comic book business? People are making lots of money at that right now. So he goes ahead and does that. He founds a company he calls Timely. Timely Comics.
0: I, I recognize that name.
1: Yep. And the first timely comic was Marvel Comics number one, with two primary characters we remember to this day. There was actually other stories. That's the Submariner and the Human Torch. Really? That's cool. Yep. So this is the Submariner we know, but not the Human Torch we know.
0: Okay. Okay. Okay.
1: The Human Torch from the original one is actually an android that catches fire whenever exposed to oxygen. So it's kind of, it's kind of weird. It's a, it's that does sound unique. a little weird. Yeah, a very interesting story. But that's where they started. Joe Simon was the first editor-in-chief. Joe Simon then hired Jack Kirby, who brought him on board, and the two of them then co-created Captain America the next year. So in 1940, Timely brings out Captain America. He punches Hitler in the jaw. Marvel Comics is off and running with a really, really successful period in the early 40s when superheroes were hot, okay? As part of that, one of the people helping get those books out was a young kid named Stanley Lieber, teenage cousin of publisher Goodman's wife, and he was actually hired as an office assistant to come in and, like, you know, bring coffee to Jack Kirby and, you know, Get him a newspaper or do whatever it is that those guys need so that they can get the books done. So Timely, though, never really became the biggest comic publisher. And occasionally it would careen sort of very close to disaster. Goodman never really put a lot of money into it. It was sort of a an enterprise that he kept rolling almost, it seems, just to give his his, you know little cousin his wife's cousin a job or something right but okay. in the late 40s after world war ii america seemed to just want to get back to a bit of normalcy superheroes really sort of lost their sheen captain america eventually stopped publishing it all in like 1950 and timely was doing romance they were doing some war comics they were doing western comics they're doing all the same stuff everybody else was doing at that point They did survive that bad period where we get the establishment of the Comics Code and everything else kind of weathered that storm. They did join the group of publishers that would put the Comics Code Authority on all of their their books. And they outlasted EC. They outlasted a bunch of other folks. They were just big enough to make it. One of the problems they did have near the end of the 60s, though, or the end of the 50s, was Goodman had actually created his own distribution arm. and What distribution meant was they would make their own comics, and then they would also ship them out to the various places they needed to go, so that they were the one providing them to the shop. That distribution arm essentially folded, and the only place he could get distribution was with the company that also was a part of DC. DC allowed him come into their publishing thing but he could only publish eight comic books a month for a while and that is not much so what he ended up doing is making all the books bimonthly monthly so he could get 16 total titles but as of the late 50s and into the very early part of the 60s marvel was actually one of the reasons it was only nine percent of the market is it was artificially bottlenecked by the fact that its distribution deal didn't allow it to publish more than essentially eight comics a month 16 titles total so, okay. that's kind of where they were. At this point, they'd already survived things like Goodman deciding that Lee had been paying too many people for work that wasn't getting published. Because Lee would request something, and when it came in, he'd pay it, and he'd put it into the closet, and then get ready to publish it when Goodman would allow him to, because they could do it. Um, but with this fewer books, he had a lot of stuff left. They actually had to fire everybody. Goodman made Stanley fire the entire staff, and for months he just published stuff out of his closet that were the like stuff he'd already paid for that hadn't been printed yet. Eventually they get through that. They start hiring a few people, the monster craze comes back and they're starting to do some things. But even at this point in the late or in the early 60s, Goodman is still potentially talking about closing. By this point. Our young intern, Stanley Lieber, has now risen to be the publisher of Marvel Comics. And this is something I don't think people get about Stan Lee sometimes, is he was a true lifer with this company. From the time he was 17 years old until the time he was like, you know, 90, or until he died, basically, he was a part of the Marvel Comics family, right? And so he's been there the whole time, but things were looking bad, there's a story where he's he's talking about, you know, I think the comics run may be over. i got to find another job. He'd always kind of wanted to write other things anyways. And he's talking to his wife. Him and his wife were a, a, quite a pair. Um, that was all the things that even, even the angriest biographers of Stan Lee have to admit that he loved his wife. It's one of the only things that some of them will actually give him uh, any credit for. But he's talking to his wife and... She said, you know, you've always wanted to make a comic book that's better, to do something that that's kind of the way you'd want to do it. If you're going to get fired anyways, if the, you know, it's all going to go away anyways, why don't you just make one comic the way you want to make it and see what happens? And it was right around that time that Goodman had been golfing, evidently, with somebody at DC who was telling him that DC was making big money on their superhero team-up book which would be Justice League of America, which had just started publishing. Goodman came back, called Lee into his office and said, I want a superhero team-up book. Lee said, all right. And he went back and he wrote it the way he wanted to write it. And with that came Fantastic Four number 1 and the Marvel Age of Comics. Now, a lot of this seems almost too Hollywood to even be true and since it's stan lee a lot of it probably is part hollywood but i think that the basic facts that timely was on the rocks when fantastic four number one came out is relatively easy to to believe based on what you can find in the in in the various statistics and stuff and that lee did decide to just try something different also is if for whatever reason is is what we can see. So what's interesting is that only happened, it came out at the end of 1961. Somehow in the years from 61 to 63, Marvel changed its name from Timely to Marvel Comics. It made the transition away from being a publisher of a wide variety of comics, many of them, you know, obviously starting to fail because they were having trouble. To instead being a publisher specifically of one primary genre of very successful comics, superhero books, and then they also still filled in with other genres around them. So, November 1961 to the end of 1963, they introduced Fantastic Four, Incredible Hulk, Sergeant Fury and His Howling Commandos, Amazing Spider Man, X Men, and the Avengers. Wow. If you look at these two years and a couple months, most of the primary characters and stories of the first at least two phases of the MCU were invented in the that, cauldron of yeah. this two year period. Wow. And it just sort of exploded. And it continues on. I mean, next next week in nineteen sixty four, we're Ooh. gonna see that it's not just Daredevil, there's a bunch of other you know major characters characters that now most of the world knows that start rolling in uh just one after another but it's a it's a fantastically innovative time at marvel and it's hard to really understand how it happened but it just sort of the right people in the right place at the right time it just sort of happened so so what does Marvel
0: look like right now as as is where you're coming up on the end of 1963 and that there's, you know, is this a small company? Is it a, you know, you, you said that they fired everybody. They probably brought, I'm assuming they had to bring a few people back in. And what what did, what did the company look like at this point? So 1960,
1: you know, 61 to 63, you're talking things like, uh Kathy, Life with Millie, Linda Carter student news or Linda Carter student student nurse. Love romances, Millie the Model annual as well as Millie the Model comics, plus modeling with Millie. You've got right. Patsy and Hetty. You've got Patsy Walker. So all of these romance comics. You've got Gunsmoke Western, Kid Colt Outlaw, The Rawhide Kid, Two Gun Kids, you got a bunch of Western. There are Journey into Mystery, Strange Tales, Tales of Suspense, which are all sort of essentially Twilight Zone light, I would call it, like Twilight Zone for kids type of stuff. There's a lot of monsters, a lot of twist endings and stuff like that. And then you've got Sgt. Fury, which is a war book. There's also a ton of humor books. And in fact, almost half of what they publish at this point is humor. It's cartoon comedy cartoon laughs cartoon parade cartoons and gags comedy g wiz humorama uh joker laugh digest laugh parade laugh riot um and then there's even four of them gaze jest romp and stare which are sort of like gentlemen's comic books they're, oh, they're more magazines. so they've got they're... like pinups on the covers uh, one of them's gaze, got a stare the male gotcha Yep. exactly
0: okay yeah and
1: so this was not that uncommon to be quite frank especially in the older days the intersection of comic books and sort of i don't know low-level pornography was relatively Adult, adult imagery imagery yeah was was relatively common uh, in fact, a lot of the bookstores I got comics in when I was young, uh, you turned one way to go into the adult bookstore and you turned the other way to go to the comic book stuff. So that's that's the way it went. But oh. in any case, which when I was 12 going to hunt comics in, in Minneapolis, my mom was not happy with the places that one ended up having to go. So in any case, that was the state of Marvel at the time. They were doing a lot of stuff that was multi-genre, a lot of stuff for kids, a lot of stuff for girls, a lot of stuff for everybody, right? Uh-huh. And and then you know some of that humor and pinup stuff would be for skewing slightly older, um, you know, college age or or older males, that sort of stuff. Now the interesting thing is that the people doing this are in many cases the same people who are going to be doing Marvel forever, right? So I went in and looked, actually used the comic database to take a look at the credits for these years. And I found the top, like, 11 creators. Uh, I was going to go with 10, but there was one, one extra one that we needed to have. But the Marvel Universe at this time had essentially 39 creators working on it in these books. But the top ones... Stan Lee and Larry Lieber, who was actually Lee's brother, wrote almost everything. They were the only two writers credited on any of the books that were Marvel superhero titles, the ones that came out during this time, like Hulk, Fury, uh, Spider-Man, X-Men, Avengers, that sort of thing. You had Steve Ditko, Jack Kirby, and Don Heck, who were the primary artists. And, of course, you know, Ditko and Kirby did a lot of the actual plotting and writing and all that sort of stuff. And there's a massive controversy about who did what in all of this. But in terms of putting the art onto paper, it was mostly Ditko, Kirby, and Heck at this point. You had a number of people inking. You had Dick Ayers and Paul Reinman. uh, And then Sal Brodsky, actually. Brodsky was an interesting dude. He worked as an inker, but he also was essentially Lee's right-hand man. So he worked a lot doing production and that sort of stuff and then Artie Simic lettered almost everything uh what he didn't lever, Ray Holloway did and Stan Goldberg was the primary colorist and he also did some art and and things like that as well but he was the the main colorist on on these so a lot of them would have like you know Goldberg colored 400 stories or more during the during this three-year period you know, they were they were busy people. Yeah, kind of crazy. But, so we're going to track that over the next few years. You know, like, who starts coming in and, and doing stuff uh, to sort of uh, transform the Marvel Universe year by year as they go in? And then who do we start losing? Who's going to uh, not be there anymore? And has maybe moved to DC or something.
0: So now the next step is to scale it down a little bit. We're going to be talking about Matt Murdock and Daredevil. I you know, this is kind of before he's introduced, but let's let's talk a little bit about what might be germinating at Marvel leading up to Daredevil. The year in Daredevil. All right, Dan, so how does Daredevil fit into all of this then? You
1: know, so the thing is that right now, As of 61 to 63, our hero is actually just a twinkle in Stans or Jack's or whoever's eye. We won't actually see him until next week. But this actually might be a good time to note that Matt Murdock is not actually the first costume crime fighter to use the name Daredevil. So way back in 1940, Jack Binder created the first Daredevil as a boomerang-wielding vigilante who also had a tragic backstory, sort of like Batman, and was fighting Hitler in the comics before the U.S. entered the war, just like Captain America. So, the name Daredevil has a storied history in in the comics, actually. Yep. character was actually really popular through the 40s, but was one of those that kind of got mothballed and fell out of favor uh, when superheroes kind of Lost their, uh, lost their sway over people in the late 40s. He only returned actually in the 1990s after he entered the public domain. So if you wanted to make a Daredevil comic, you can make yourself a Daredevil comic. And a number of people have done that. Really? The only thing is, of course, because Marvel now has been publishing Daredevil and has the trademark on it, the character can be called Daredevil inside a book that you publish, but you can't put on a cover logo that says Daredevil because that's trademarked by Marvel.
0: This is the exact
1: same problem that DC has with Shazam slash Captain Marvel. Ah, yes. That for years, you know, they brought back Captain Marvel, but they had to call the book Shazam because even though they can call the character Captain Marvel, they can't use it as a trademarked imprint on the cover. Ah. It's a weird, weird thing. That is so weird. So that's there is an actual Daredevil out there. He had kind of this crazy multicolored jester suit and stuff like that. And he was actually a, a relatively intriguing character. An interesting note on that, since we mentioned Captain Marvel as well, is that Jack Binder, the guy who initially created uh that Daredevil, the early Daredevil, is the older brother of Otto Binder. And Otto was the co-creator of Mary Marvel. He wrote a ton of stories for the, the marvel family he also co-created supergirl and my favorite group from when i was a kid the legion of superheroes so otto was actually one of the all-time greats in comics um, not so much his brother but otto was fantastic uh over fifty thousand pages of written published comics over like five decades so there's actually a, a book we'll put the link into the uh in, into the notes called Auto Binder The Life and Work of a Comic Book and Science Fiction Visionary It's by a guy named Bill Shelley from 2016 fascinating book really good also super depressing at the end because unfortunately after living this wonderful life and giving us all this great stuff Auto Binder had a significant tragedy at the end of his life that sort of just uh, just ruined him yeah,
0: it's... this week's spotlight story all right the spotlight is going to be my attempt to give you a digestible version of what happened to daredevil during the year and then spotlight a book or a story from that year that we're going to talk about so i'll give you a little bit of a recap of what happened and tell you why i picked that one out out of out of everything that that i read uh for that year so really excited about that have several the next several weeks all planned out but since daredevil hasn't been uh published yet we don't have a spotlight this week so we're going to move into our final segment which is the takeaway this week's takeaway all right dan we're in the takeaway what is the takeaway what 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 should we come away from this first episode about marvel what should we come away with maybe daredevil as we look to the future
1: no to me really it is that part we sort of talked about a little bit already that marvel boom of the 60s kind of heralded this fundamental transformation of the comics industry Marvel books actually skewed towards older audiences who had more disposable income, and Marvel fans increasingly were people who looked at comic writing or drawing not only as a sort of art form, but also as a preferred career choice for them. And so, both the comic industry and comic fandom became, sort of started undertaking this change that ends up resulting in the creation of things like specialty shops, the direct market, you've got Fans who are very interested in, in chronology, very interested in continuity, uh, collecting all the issues, correcting mistakes. Things that nobody had ever seen happen before in comic books, right? Right. Yeah. So what we see is a fundamental change just in the readership. And then that sort of has this back-and-forth effect, kind of a ping-pong effect, where... Yeah. The early Marvel books sort of changed the readers, and the readers then changed the Marvel comic books, which then continued to change the readers. Changed the industry, and the time, probably. Yeah, It changed the entire industry. So, the thing I want to keep in mind is that in the early 1960s, Marvel's genre breakdown was 25% humor, uh, 23% science fiction, fantasy, and monsters, 20% romance. superhero, or 10% superhero, 10% western, 10% pinup comics, and 1% for one title for war. So, looking at the fact that, you know, sort of weird comic girly mags were tied in terms of publishing importance with superheroes in 1961, 62, 63 for Marvel, versus the fact that by the late 1960s, The line is well over 50% superhero. And when you go to the comic store today and look at a Marvel line, it's hard to find anything that isn't within the Marvel universe. You know, at this point, most of what we see that isn't in the Marvel universe is going to be Star Wars stuff. Because there's actually quite a bit of Marvel Star Wars published these days. But in general, uh, you know, Marvel has now become synonymous with one and only one thing. And it is not Millie the model. (laughs)
0: Right? <laughs> no, it's it's so, definitely not what I know them for either. So uh, you know, this this a has lot been of these interesting.
1: Characters have been around a long time. Some of them even made the move. So, for instance, if you know the Night Nurse from yes, the Daredevil from... TV show, yeah, yep, that's actually a character from the romance comics of the '60s. Really, she made the move. Patsy Walker, who plays Hellcat in The Defenders, and she's in, um, I'm not sure if she was in the the TV show for, uh, which one was she in? She was in Jessica Jones, I think. But in any case, she was also somebody who had a number of of the the sort of romance or girls' uh, fashion comics back in the early 60s, and then actually turned into a superhero and continued on as now Like She-Hulk's best friend in the comics and that sort of stuff. So the other interesting thing is a lot of these have had continuations. You know, a lot of those monsters, their name come back. There was a a monster named Groot. There was a monster named Thor with two R's. There was all of these sort of characters. You know, Fin Fang Foom still continues on to the modern day. So it's, it's very interesting to see how that's worked. But I think the fundamental takeaway is that with Fantastic Four number one, Lee and Kirby not only hit on a formula that worked for them then, but it was a formula that literally started this, this snowball rolling downhill that has made Marvel the juggernaut it is. You know? Yeah. So that, that's, that's kind of, to me, the interesting thing about this, is looking how different Marvel is in the early 60s from what it's going to become.
0: Right, and then we're going to be taking a in-depth look at it year by year going forward. This is going to be exciting. I hope, I hope you all listening are as excited about this as we are. Uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. That's going to put a wrap on this week's show. We'd like to thank you for joining us new to the podcast please consider subscribing on your podcast player of choice that way you'll get each new episode as soon as it's released if you've already subscribed we'd appreciate it if you'd share the show via social media or leave us a review that will help new listeners find the show much easier whether you're new to the podcast or you've been with us from the beginning we'd love to get your thoughts about this week's show you can send those to us via email at comments at comicsovertime.com or via Twitter or blue sky we're at comics overtime there until next week take care everybody see you later folks have a great one